Hello and welcome to Under the Hood, where we talk to people who work on digital products, their strategies, role of design, insights and general under the hood processes. My name is John from Red Lemonade. We're a digital product strategy and design agency in Kilkenny here in Ireland. And today I'm joined by Ronan Percival. Ronan is the CEO of a company called Forest. Forest is a SaaS company that specializes in computer software for hairdressers, spas and beauty salon owners. It's software that's used in more than 4,000 salons across the world. Uh, He started in Ireland, moved into the UK, into Europe, and now are becoming a big player in the US. Ronan offers so many insights and so many takeaways during this podcast. Uh, You really got to listen to catch it all. Hello and welcome to Under the Hood, where we chit chat about product strategy and design. Today is Black Friday and we have Ronan Percival from Forest with us today. Ronan's going to give away about 25% of his soul today to our listeners. And Ronan, you're very welcome and thank you for uh, coming along today. Thank you for having me, John. Looking forward to it. Great. So listen, your product provides a service for the salon industry. Um, the salon industry itself, when you think about it, when you walk downtown on a, I suppose, in a, a micro level, it seems like a small industry. But in fact... The salon industry is absolutely massive when you push it into the macro level. Yeah, I think that's something that I was not aware of before I got involved. Um, it's it's a huge industry. There's about 4 million salons around the world. And in those 4 million salons, there's about 60 million hairdressers, beauty therapists, nail technicians working in them. So the size of the UK is to kind of give that kind of, you know, just people's head around it. And then there's another 40 million people approximately who work in companies or services, you know, providing providing things to those salons. So like if you work in forest building software for salons or you work in a L'Oreal factory making a shampoo that's only available in a salon, you know, and on and on. So that's like, you know, there's somewhere in the region of 100 million people in the industry. And like, just think of that, how big a country that would be, you know what I mean, if it was a country. Yeah. And, and like that makes it actually one of the, the top 10 largest employers in the world but it's, okay that yeah that is massive then yeah it's huge industries. it's a massive ecosystem but it doesn't get the respect that similar sized industries would get and, right, okay. and, and you know there's a it's a couple of reasons for it i think people don't take it seriously um and they they you know they yeah and some people even look their nose down at it you know being honest with you um and i might have even been guilty of that you know when i was younger and I didn't okay know any better but then once you get to understand what the industry does, um, it really can change your perspective because the salon provides more than just, you know, cutting someone's hair. Mm. The social hub of most towns across the world now, you know, because so many of those businesses in a local town or village, like from a, you know, from the pub with drink driving regulations or the post office or, or, you know, the local shop, they've all been disrupted by the internet or by out of town supermarkets or whatever it is. And the salon is one of the few businesses that's still going. It's, it's, it's just still growing even not just going. Um, and people go there not just to get their hair done, but they also go there for, for like to have a chat with somebody to meet other people, you know, it provides a sort of social service as well makes people feel good, makes them feel more confident. Do you know what I mean? People come in, happy but they leave feeling even happier so it provides a massive service to the to society actually and but it's very it's not considered such and that's one of the reasons i love it you know yeah and i think that's a very very interesting point people come in happy and they leave happy so um i can't think of many industries how that how that actually works like that yeah but listen going back to to your own company like the similar like my own company red lemonade the sim the only similarities between the two of us i suppose is that we both started in 2004 and we're still here with obviously changes along the way. Yeah. Um, can you tell me a little bit about, just give us a little tour of the history of the company, like how it came to be, the milestones that you may have come across that have affected you externally or internally and just right up to where you are now. It's very cool that you started in 2004. I think that's the first time I've ever met anyone that started a company same year so uh um but yeah so we we started yeah like it's been a a long journey no more uh, than it is for yourself i'd say um you know we started out doing appointment reminders for any business 
and uh, the idea was that like doctor or dentist or a restaurant or a salon they would you know they suffered from no-shows and if you're a small business and someone doesn't turn up for an appointment that's just lost money it's gone you know yeah there's no there's no way of getting it back it's a big deal um even if you just have one or two no-shows a day like that's a big deal for for a business owner and we, we built the product back then just to send a text message reminding someone of their appointment the day before it was innovative at the time obviously now you know like it doesn't sound that innovative but we were the first people to do that in a, in a number of industries. But the problem was that we never got any traction. So between about 2004, 2006, you know, we, we had a dentist, we had a doctor, we had a couple of salons. We had, we had loads of these different businesses, but okay. we weren't really getting anywhere. And, um, you know, because they weren't, they weren't recommending it to each other, if that made sense. And then in the business, it didn't do enough. You know, there was like doctor management systems. Mm. We do the appointments, you know. They were like, nah, we'll just stick with the doctor management system, which tracks everything, you know? Uh, yeah, so, it was, was so the focus was just to go slightly more narrow then. Yeah, so we, we actually, it happened by accident. I needed money at the time. We didn't have many customers. We had no funding. So I ended up getting a job in a salon in Dublin here as a receptionist. Um, and that's A, where I fell in love with the industry. Uh, yeah. Some of the stuff I was saying to you just a few minutes ago. But, and I realized, why wow, there's a big opportunity here. But also that we realized that, um, you know, with the salon owner, her name was Tina, like there was loads of challenges that we could help her with. And the big one was, and this is sort of the big eureka moment, I think, for Forrest, was we, 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 I was working there in the salon, uh, putting all the, the appointments into this, this software that we'd built. Uh, and we, had, we collected about a thousand, a thousand people, small one numbers, and uh, on the run up to Christmas 2004, I think it was. And then in January... Salons like other businesses that like that operate like this, she was dead. Like she'd no she'd no bookings barely in her calendar, right? So, and she kind of you know a typical small business owner, just like the way we would have been. You know, you don't plan ahead that much, so you know things are going great up to Christmas, and you're delighted, loads yeah. in your pocket, and then suddenly it's January, and you, mm. you know you're like wow, and you panic. So we um we just had this idea that we just text out everyone in our calendar or, or in the system, all the thousand numbers with a special offer for January. If they booked in, instead of waiting for February, like they probably were going to. And, uh, we just did it. She said, I said, look, can we, should we do this? And she said, yeah, grand, she nothing to lose. And the phone didn't stop ringing. And I was the one answering the phone. So I felt it, but the phone yeah. didn't stop ringing for, uh, for about three weeks, honestly, like it was unbelievable. And she was. And what what year was that running when when you did that? Yeah, the, it was the Christmas going into two thousand four and the January two thousand five. So, uh, yeah, just it was. And then she was really busy. The, the team were all delighted because they were busy instead of hanging around. You know, basically, but that's when trouble starts. You know what I mean? When people have too much time in their hands. Yep. Uh, and the business isn't moving. So, like, so the team's morale was really high. You know, she was positive. And, you know, everyone was making a bit more money for commissions and everything. So it was just, it just transformed the business. And, uh, and then because it was really busy, people were like walking around were like, wow, what's going on in there? You know, it's really busy yeah. in January. So even more people then were attracted into the business. Do you know what I mean? It was a fantastic thing. And so that's really where we started. Like our philosophy was, how do we help the salon grow their business? That's where that started. We were like, it wasn't just about providing software to manage your business. It was like, yeah. What can we do to actually grow her business? And that's, yeah. really, that's what we've done over the last, you know, 12, 13 years since then. Yeah, it was to focus on the salon and go deep there. How we can help and, and anything's up for grabs, you know? Yeah. yeah it was, you know, with, with the whole texting thing, actually, I was working in Dublin in 2003 and 2002, and I was working for a company that was developing text messaging between, you know, between phones. Yeah. I don't know if you ever heard of it, New Symphony. It was in the IFSC. Yeah, yeah, I did hear of it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was actually, I was doing all the design for that back in the day. Yeah, yeah it's just a funny, funny mix there. And I suppose what, where, how I'd come across you initially um, was a couple of years ago, uh, Neve Bushnell had a meetup for the, the Breakfast Club for um, the Startup Dublin. Mm. And one of the things, obviously, you'd said, you just mentioned it there, you'd work behind the desks in the salon, and I don't think, I think that's a really interesting way to learn about your customers. Yeah. Um, it's quite deep. It works really well. And then you were saying to you, you at the time you were kind of, you know, avoiding the, the VC kind of game of nonstop pitching, et cetera. It just wasn't where you were. It was all about bootstrapping. Mm. And then the third thing you said that um, 
that you were, you know, creating a product that you were charging for at the very start. So yeah. they're three things you don't hear much of these days. And yeah. um, they're, they're three, the three big things. That, all right, uh, it's funny because yeah, you just sort of throw them out as comments, but they're kind of yeah. formulated in your head. But yeah, the first one there about going out and working. I think that the big thing with that is there's a phrase eat your own dog food which you probably know yeah and uh, the problem we had with that was that that works grand if you're if you're building software or designing something that you actually are using in your day-to-day work but like 90 percent of products you know are, are a designer or a software programmer isn't going to actually use themselves so mm-hmm. how do they do that and the only way is to get out and actually do the work do the job and experience it real live so me working in a salon originally you know, by accident, being honest with you, you know, led to the, that realization. And I've something I've, I've maintained since, like I work in a salon at least for a full day once a year. And yeah. uh, it, you'd be surprised, like you think, you know, I've worked in it for, for ages back then and, and I, I've been in the industry since. But you, you fall out of touch with what's yeah. actually happening on the ground. So it's a brilliant and it's good fun. But we, we encourage actually everyone to do that here. So all the product team, the designers, the devs and everything, they have to spend at least half a day once a quarter out in a salon. And that is, it's unbelievable how much motivation they get from that. Because at first they're like, ah, no way, I'm not, I'm not. Yeah, yeah. Like, why didn't, you know, join Forrest to go and work in a salon? Like, come on. Yeah. But they they go out and they come back. And, you know, once they've done it, they kind of have to be forced to do it. But once they've done it, they love it and they really look forward to doing it again. And it keeps the focus on the customer because everything you do, has to revolve around the customer all the time. If you if you're always satisfying them or helping them, your business is never really going to get disrupted. Do you know what I kind of? Yeah, and it is. I suppose the minute you think you know it all or you stop learning, you're in trouble. I think you know. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But you said there, yeah, you said another thing there, which is about um, being bootstrapped. Mm. We were, we were, yeah. Look, I I had actually been involved in another startup before Forest. It was called mm. Demonware. I was a co-founder there with a guy called Dylan Collins mm-hmm. from Kilkenny. Yeah, um, Sean Blanchfield, and uh, we we founded that company when we were in college, and I actually left early on. Like that went on to have quite a big exit, and Dylan's gone on to do very very well. Yeah, probably where, but the um, and we you know we we're we're uh, we're good friends now. But at the time, I didn't. We we kind of had a disagreement, I suppose, about how to build a company. So he he would have been of the mindset. And by the way, he's proven <laughs> that it works, right? But, right, yeah. Uh, he, of like raising. So he early on, we were just young pups, like, you know, early 20s. And we raised money for Demonware. And I realized that I didn't want, I did, it, was, it felt like a treadmill. Like you raise money and you sit down the next day, you know, after you celebrated raising the money. And it's like, how do we spend this money to put ourselves in a position to raise more money in the next time? <laughs> It doesn't feel logical, I suppose. Well, that was like, that isn't, you know, I didn't understand these things, but I was like, that isn't actually why I'm in business. You know what I mean? I I want to to help people. Like, I know it sounds sounds a bit ideological or whatever, but that's really what what I felt. You know, know, if I was going to do this, I wanted to do it so it felt right or whatever. Now, what they did is really cool stuff. It's still in Call of Duty today. If you play Call of Duty online, you still see the Demon War logo. Like, they've built stuff that's lasting and everything like that. It's a fantastic business and all that kind of thing. So I'm not, you know, this is nothing about that. Yeah. And and to build that kind of business, to be honest with you, you do need to raise money. Yeah, I know. I suppose, Ronan, what I was getting at that, you know, when you see a lot of people in startups, there's a a lot of their time put into doing the pitch. Yeah. Uh, rather than pitching, should be pitching to their clients, you know what I mean? Rather than pitching yeah, to VCs, yeah. I think, you know? I, I totally agree. And so that's what we, you know, we went out and just, we, we, we sold the product straight away. And so one of the key ways, if you're going to bootstrap, you need to start earning money immediately. So cool. but that does two things for you. Like one is obviously it puts you in control of your own destiny. But the second thing is it actually, you get feedback about what actually is valuable way faster. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people yeah. can raise money and they can spend a year building something. And then as they're beginning to run out of money, they, they have to start selling it. And then they realize that people don't really want to pay for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if you're getting given away something for free, it's sometimes difficult to know if you're actually getting yeah, anything exactly. out of it or learning. Usage is not the same thing. Now, consumer exactly. behavior is different. So if you have a mm. consumer product, usage is different. So, you know, your Facebooks or whatever. But like when it comes to a business product, which, 
you know, the majority of startups are business products of some description, right? So like they're, if you're selling something to a business, if the business is not prepared to pay you for it, mm-hmm. it's probably not that valuable. You may be solving a problem, but it may not be actually something that someone really, yeah. pay, you know? So, so getting people to pay for something up front, it doesn't work for everyone. And everyone has to take that, you know, advice and, you know, on their own and go, that's not relevant to me. And that's fine. But I but I've seen so many examples where it is, you know, it sharpens the mind. It's like, whoa, they don't want this, but they want that. And we've, we did, we had to do that early on because we've no money. So we yeah. Like our salon's going to pay for this. And what we found was when we did that text message promotion mm. for that salon, yeah, other salons were prepared to pay for that way more than just for the appointment software. Wow. I mean, like people were like, yeah. I want that text message thing. And we were like, okay, well then you'll have to do the appointments. And they're like, okay. But if we went, yeah. like, you know, We'll replace your paper appointment book with a computer one. You know, the odd person would be interested in that. But most of them are like, no. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I just speaking, I suppose, about your, your customers then. I mean, like in Kilkenny, where I get get my hair cut and go once a month, still going once a month. But um, in Kieran O'Gorman's, the, I gave about a year ago or two years ago when I realized that your forest software was involved, I was getting reminders that my appointment was coming up. So he has a very busy salon with about 20 seats in it, I'd say, you know. Yeah. And um, so you'd have to book a day or two in advance to go in for the haircut. And um, the odd time I might have missed the appointment for whatever reason, um, but I get a reminder. So that's really good for them because it saves a seat when they could have been given it to someone else. And also, I actually talked to someone at reception and they were telling me, I was asking them, what do you like the most about it? And they were saying, one, obviously, it's the reminders. It stops the situation where they have people with no shows and they've employees in there with no work. And the second thing was actually the speed of the system it was just actually accessing someone's appointment just fast on the phone and talking to them. Um, that was their thing. Yeah, it's, it's cool to hear that because, the, you know, that appointment reminder is obviously how we got started 14 years ago. And it's yeah. kind of cool that it's still, you know, it still actually is relevant today almost as it was then. Yeah. Because, you know, we, we, you know, for us as part of our business, it's probably 5% of what we do now. But, yeah. but, uh, but it's cool to hear it still works. And, and uh, yeah, and, and the speed of access to the system, and that's something that would be key, you know, all the time is like getting the, mo- you know, first of all, like launching a mobile app so all the staff have access to everything, you know, and then that improves efficiency around the salon and then, you know, making that faster and better all the time. So it's good to hear. Okay. And and I think then uh, while we're talking about those features and you're saying that feature makes up about 5%, can you tell me some of the other product features that are there now? Obviously, they've, they've grown in the years, yeah, um, yeah. but what are they? You've got to be aware of that. Because that's a different probably question is like products getting too complex. Then, yeah, too many features. Yeah, too many features. It's hard not to, to do it, especially when what we're doing is we're doing a product platform i suppose for mm. industry yeah and um they don't want to use multiple products they only want to use one do you know what yep. i mean so yes CRM, yeah. whereas i'm sure you have loads of SaaS tools you use in your in your work or yeah your business, right but you're kind of open to that you know like it's different so with a salon they just want one provider so you kind of have to provide a lot of different features and that leads to complexity but if you just we we divide the product up into two kind of general areas there is one area which is what's called salon software which is the product category we're in and so every competitor we have must provide a bunch of features and one of those is appointment booking uh, point of sale uh, patching yeah. up and crm client management right so that that's you just have to provide those tools and everyone compete does but like with it with software generally it's getting cheaper t- to build software uh, you, mm-hmm. there's loads of new templates out there you know you can you can software quite quickly now as well you know so like it's not an advantage anymore to have a nice looking easy to use software that does those things you're not going to win in the industry long term it's going to go you know you're just going to be in a price war yeah it's getting saturated now yeah so so we 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 kind of realized that right back in 2014 that it was it was about say doing that promotion that put more people into tina's salon that's actually the value and that's what we, you know, our mission as a company became, how do we help our salons get their clients back in more often spending more? And that's what we do. And we've just focused on that kind of relentlessly over the last 10 years. And, okay. And those features are really the value of Forest and why people pay for pay for Forest and why, you know, we've done really well uh, in the UK and Ireland where we're now the number one provider. Like we'd have displaced, 
you know, in Ireland, there was five software companies doing sound software, believe it or not, before we started, you know? Yeah. As I said, the market was already saturated then. You know, it sounds crazy. Now. But, they- but you hold, do you actually, do you, you'd be the biggest provider in, in, in Ireland and the UK. Yeah. For yeah. The- so about 80%, 80% of salons in Ireland that have more okay. than three employees. So like, you know, what we've done with high end salons. Um, okay. Sparks in Ireland, about thirty percent of the market in the UK, and, and still growing. So, so it's um, so so yeah, like, and the re- reason we've done that is based on this other area of like the products that we have, you know, come up with and we roll out that help get this more clients into the salon. And so things uh. like we do, like now we're doing stuff like with AI. We we you know we have a huge amount of data. There'd be about five million appointments a month in the platform. So you kind of you see a huge amount of um, of data around what's happening in the salon, what's a good customer, what isn't a good customer, like all the different attributes around that. So we've algorithms built around identifying when a customer is at risk of not coming back in ages beforehand, you know, before wow. there, you know, that customer mightn't actually rebook as opposed to like after it's happened, it's too late. Yeah. You know, it actually automatically takes, takes, takes uh, action based on that by sending messages and things to the person in advance. And that, really works like you know you, you save about 20 percent of those people so oh wow and save 20 percent of those people and and that automatically goes out like the the, the yeah, person in the salon doesn't have to worry about like so but what we do is we don't send them out messaging oh you know you're at risk and not going back in yeah we send them a, a message saying it'll come from the stylist they were they usually go to yeah say hey john um you know i have some slots tomorrow free and and the slots will be the times that they usually take do you see what i mean yeah, yeah, yeah. It just look like you're helping them out. Yeah, okay. Because often, sometimes it's because people just forget or they're, they're drifting away from a business or whatever, and then they get that, and it's easier just to click it, and then they go back in, and the relationship's kind of restored, you know, with the, with that salon. So I think, yeah, you know, just little things like that. Yeah, okay. But they big impact, you know. So. And then when you're looking at all of these kind of, you know, the products are your you're creating a new one or you're you're refining i should say more so you're refining the the ai or whatever that particular feature is just going back kind of under the hood again i suppose um do you guys ever i suppose it's a quick yes or no question on this one do you ever test like in a qualitative way before you send it out to market or do you just go launch and learn um oh we do a lot of testing or what we call product discovery so like um we have a lot of imp- yeah, so it's quite a it's become big thing in forest, I'd say now. So first of all, we would get all the inputs on an idea. So the idea can come from anywhere. It could be somebody in the salon, and a thing called user voice, which is a tool where they get to vote and suggest ideas that we should be doing doing, and then the most popular ones rise to the top. So that's great the salons directly. But again, you don't want to just build exactly what they say, or you'll end up with sort of a mess. Yeah. Which is, but that's yeah. it's an important input though. And then you have like ideas that that would come from people within the company who work with customers all day. Do you know what I mean? And then you yeah. And then other ideas that come from wherever. You might spot them in another industry and wonder whether they'll work in this one. So you have all the ideas coming in that way. And then what what we do is based on the ones that seem like they have a bit of legs, the, the you know a designer will design mock-ups or prototypes. Yeah. And the the product team will take those prototypes out to salons and check. You know, ah. see, see how they get on, and you know what, they, how they find the prototypes. You know, using stuff like, um, sorry, what you call that too? Uh, Adobe XD or Sketch or Invision. Yeah, Invision and stuff. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Um, that, that kind of stuff. So we we identified the best things from that, and for surveys and you know, yeah, things, and then and it's only then then we would actually uh, build a proper design, and and the product team would put together a proper definition of what we're going to build. And then they they build it, and then we roll. We try to roll out stuff to groups, so like fifty salons get it first, then a hundred, then five hundred. You know what I mean? Just, ah, okay. So you test it within. Yeah. So you can actually separate out software and test it in fifty oh, okay. places and see how that works. Markets as well, because like yeah. Ireland is different to the US, different to Germany. We're in six markets, and each market is a little bit different. Like Ireland and the UK is the same, and to be honest, Australia, which we recently launched in, it, it turns out exactly the same with the UK and Ireland as well so those three markets we kind of treat as one from a product point of view but like yeah. Germany we're in and that's very different you know not fair sorry not very different but there's little mm. things that they would do differently like just give you an example how this could mess with a product you know and that probably applies to any anyone else building a product as well like yeah. you know, say 
in a text message, they don't say dear Ronan or dear John. They would say dear, you know, Mr. Clear. Okay. It's so, slightly more formal. Yeah. Okay. That's actually a big deal. Cause like, yeah, just collect our whole product is built around collecting someone's first name and then plonking macros in for first names. Everywhere. Ah, you know I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah so you, and like our clients aren't technical, so they're not going to change the macros on their own. You know what I mean? They have to be kind of yeah. defaulted in. And you'd learn that very fast, I suppose. So, like, if you have someone's surname, how do you know if it's a man or a woman? So, like, yeah, yeah. You know I mean, so we, we would never, we don't need to know that. Like, we just know it's Mary, and so the customer knows. Mm. But, like, if you're in, like, the system needs to know in Germany if it's Mr. or Mrs. or her or whatever. Oh, exactly. You yeah. have to then change the way the product works, not just for sending the text message, but how the, how the reports work, how the, how the appointment is created, how they collect, collect customer information. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's, it's, you know, it might look kind of like the same product, but that's like, that affects about five or six different elements of the product. Do you see what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. So all that kind of stuff. So you need to just check that. Like, thankfully we are only in six countries now because there's not that many, you know, the uh, variations that we have to do. Yeah, as we get bigger, I think that's going to be a challenge, and it must be a big challenge for other software. You know, like that's why people go, "Oh, this software is so bloated." But it's very hard to keep a software simple when you start adding different cultural differences. And different yeah, that that yeah, that must be very challenging because as you are growing, you do have to keep all of these things into consideration. Yeah, I mean, you think of something like you know, like Netflix or something, but I mean, like it's pretty much you're just watching movies and obviously to just tailor the movies think, to whatever yeah. country they're in. But, I th- but I'd, say, I'd say, I'd say there is a lot of complexity there too. I think though, cause there is yeah. Germany, like that. First of all, they have all this content that's in different countries and then they have mm. to wonder like, should the content like this, there's a show in Germany. I watched, I can't remember what it's called. It's really good. Um, it's in German on Netflix and it was great. Right. So how do they know that I would like that? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and there's yeah. some country is that going to play well in some countries, but not in other ones. You know what I mean? And how they figure that out? So, like they, yeah, this product stuff. So they, they, they. I think it, there's a load of complexity there. But, yeah, and I do, I do love that idea as well that you can, if you do have a new product feature, and you know, through your qualitative data in terms of working with the prototypes and the designers, whatever, that you, you can launch it maybe into a just part of a pool of a market to see if it is actually really working in the real world, you know, mm. before launching it completely. I think Netflix, did, they do that quite a lot. Apparently Ireland is a, a great place for that, for uh, testing well, new features yeah. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, it's, it's really good and they're pretty innovative. So, yeah. Yeah. I listen, just in terms of that process then in the team, has, has the, like, you know, I'm a designer myself and we do design sprints. So we're always working with companies in terms of like, you know, their product strategy and then, building maybe that prototype etc yeah. has design has your design team grown and like things like yeah. has the design team grown obviously and then like a data analyst is that becoming a bigger role oh, in your company as well no like we we like it's totally totally changed in the last few years so i would have been yeah like i i i suppose i wouldn't have called myself that but i would have been like a product designer product marketer that's yep. what my skill set was so i would have when i worked in the salon i i used to go home at night you know boot up photoshop and find out what i thought the product should look like and then hand it over to dev to make so like i was doing that without realizing that's a good way of doing it and i'm yeah. lucky that i had photoshop skills whatever you know i wasn't i'm not a good designer but i had basic enough skills like good enough yeah. skills to do get to get over the line and that actually meant that our product looked a lot better then than mm-hmm. say the competition who wouldn't have had a designer doing it at all that the programmers would have just designed the product do you know what i mean so so that was, you know, so we were kind of always more in touch with that, I suppose, from the beginning without realizing yeah. that's a thing, if you know what I mean? Yeah. Now, like, it's, yeah, like every, so we, we'd split up split up the, the R&D, say, in the company into what we call tribes. Okay. And a tribe, so we would have five tribes now, and a tribe might have anywhere from three or four people up to maybe six or seven people. Right. And the, a tribe would be made up of, First of all, software developers, um, mm-hmm. and usually a front-end and back-end skills in that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so, mm-hmm. um, so that's, you know, that's the main, I suppose, element of a tribe has to have that. And then yeah. every tribe would have a product manager. Um, yeah. So that's the person who's, who's deciding what the product is. Yeah, absolutely, and yeah. Running the whole discovery process about you know, what we need to do and what the result's going to be. And then a designer. So that's something that's more recent. So we would have had just say one designer in the company or used outside designers across yep. the tribes. 
but we you know that's as it's developed and we've become more you know see the benefit of that we're now moving to having a designer in every tribe but, yeah it's, it's something we found as well like we, we've started design sprints and what we found as, as part of the design sprint when we're working with a company we always make sure there's a the product manager there because someone's got to make the decision you know and then you have we have someone from marketing front desk we always bring a designer to, to it anyway or they might have a designer themselves and as the a dev person as well but what i find with those teams as well is that someone within that you know from what were silos possibly at one time um they can find solutions to a designer can find a solution to a developer's problem. A marketing person can find a solution to a designer's problem. So they actually work quite well as teams for solving problems fast. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. Because like at the end of the day, these guys are all good at what they do. Mm. You know, they're smart and they kind of, as they work together, they kind of see things that the other person doesn't see, but they're open to it, you know? And they, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of that growth hacking book. I, it yeah, was really yeah. good. It talks a lot about that. Yeah. Like I, I don't know how we got, I know how we got away with it, but I, I, I would never go back now. Now that we're doing it, it's just like, can we, it's a struggle, obviously, just to hire. Can we get the good designers, good product managers, product yeah. marketing as well? So product marketing is another element that, have you read Marty Kagan and all that kind of stuff? Am I, Not Marty Kagan, no. Go on, just give us a little. Yeah, so there's a, there's a great book he wrote called Inspired, and it's all about this kind of methodology of okay. tribes and everything like that. Okay. Sounds like from the way you're talking, you're doing all this stuff anyway. But it's 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 a great one to read to explain to someone else what you mean. But uh, yeah, yeah. So so anyway, he he uh, like the other element to it all, which which is product marketing as well. So you, I think you might even mention it there. But it's something that yeah. other people aren't always aware of. So you have the designer. You know, the designer will do the mock-ups and the actual create a tangible version of what it's going to be, which helps people understand what it is mm. so much better. And then the product manager obviously decides the initial, you know, what the hell are we going to build or whatever. And the devs build it, right? So, you know, you've got those three elements. But the product marketer is is basically the person who figures out the hook of what actually somebody is going to want to buy. Yes. Figure that out earlier on so that the design is influenced by that. So that when yeah. it actually is rolled out, the, the consumer or the you know the business who's going to use it is like the like it might be just that the button what they want to do isn't hidden away it's there at the front because that's actually the reason why they bought the things you see what I mean even if yeah. it does all this other cool stuff as well later on so it's it's just really clever stuff and that and that that stuff around product marketing now we don't have a product marketer in every every tribe mm. we're we're doing product marketing and we're realizing that that would be you know I think that's the end game where the tribes would have these product marketers, you know what I mean? And you can you take it to a new level. Yeah. I think like when you take a look at that kind of, you know, the, the that graph of the, the, the growth funnel for a company, you have your acquisition at the top and that's usually where the marketing people sat, you know, and then activation was another one, then retention and your revenue. So you had all the developers and whatever else and designers coming in at that point. So mm-hmm. by mixing them up, I think it works really, really well. And I think you can work yeah, really yeah, fast in that area. Yeah, and I think... And sometimes marketers, like you're marketing, like, you know, we have at Forest, like no more than yourself, like you doing this, this is content marketing, right? So this is a way for you to raise profile. Like I'm, even if you're not using it for that, like it's a way for you to raise profile. Obviously you do really good podcasts and people hear about, you know, et cetera, right? So that's yeah. content marketing. Like, content sure. marketing for us is massive, like massive, like half our marketing budget goes into producing content, video, wow. podcasts, whatever. Like, yeah. you know, in the, in the US and everywhere, like the, an amazing thing but like content marketing is like a thing now you know where like if you're really good at it like it's your massive edge but like how different is content marketing to product marketing there's like completely different disciplines like you know they are yeah and it's you have to get those people in to do that now yeah so you kind of marketing has become this thing which is like just unbelievably huge and then you have all the all the paid marketing you know like digital demand generation like that's a whole skill and that's totally different. And then you have like data analysis of all that stuff. Yeah, and it's yeah I know. Analysis then. So you mentioned data actually earlier and that's the other person, person that is not maybe not having a, one data person in a tribe because that might be too much, but having a data team in your product, you know, group yeah. and analyze stuff and see what's working or not. Like that's massive. It's something we've only started investing in like a year, like in 2017. Um, we have two people who are great. Like we love more, really hard. Behind them, there's just they're not 
they're just not creating them fast enough you know what i mean that's it and i think it's yeah i've even have family members who are trying to have a cousin who's like 17 and she's thinking of getting into that area and i'm like yes do it it's going to be big you know it's not only it's guaranteed a good career but it's going to be good even you know like it's not something that's just going to die out because the amount of data being created is not getting smaller it's like doubling every three years or something yeah it's it's, it that's yeah there's a ridiculous figures in that actually with regards to data Uh, Ronan, the, the other area I want to look at once we just stick with the the idea of that you know the growth funnel just retention it's a word that I think of a lot and there's things what you've said so far it's all about retention so like with a salon it's it's not about acquiring new customers it's about retaining what you have that's all you got to do and and that's what you do very well with your customer with your customers the salons and that's what your SaaS product does very well and then the other area that I want to look at then is the retention in another area which is like you have your product which is the SaaS product called forest but the other product i want to talk about is the company and not the company product your company should be the best product and so let's have a look at that and if you look at something like for your company staff retention is actually very high i remember hearing somewhere that some of your staff are having like 10 10 year anniversaries of working there like how do you do that blackmail uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so staff retention or client retention so i know i think we covered it client retention i think it's quite good i think that you know as, as a company you're well you, you know first of all in terms of the SaaS product that the salons are using it works very well for them in terms of retaining their clients yeah yeah but that's, that's our thing is get your clients back more often spending more like that's our that's key all our tools that ai tool to bunches of other tools we do as well are all based around that so like that's our fault yeah that's we we call that retention marketing actually is what we call okay so okay marketing tools that basically improve retention that's kind of our 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 usp i suppose yeah and then it's just if you think of your product or your company as a product like no just different things obviously you have like i said maybe we could talk through a few of them i'll just list out a few there's this staff retention obviously Mm -hmm. so obviously there must be something good if you're keeping you know, people are on 10 and 12 year anniversaries and more. Um, you also like the, what we were kind of hitting on earlier on there was all that content that you push out yeah. about about salons on Facebook. So you have, you're talking to salons, asking them what they need. Salons are talking to you and saying, hey, we're, we found that this works quite well for us. Yeah. You have a podcast, you're on nearly your 100 episode and they're really good. And not only are they good for the salons because now they become your fans, not only your customers. And like so, the this the podcast would have twenty thousand uh, listeners. Wow. Say right, but we only have five thousand clients. So yeah, it's like it's spread yeah. of that is way beyond like our client base. You know what I mean? So it's no, absolutely your profile, and it's all helpful. Like, if you, yeah, you know, it's nothing to do with like buy our product. Like it's all just advice and sometimes nothing to do with software but it does relate back to helping get your clients back more often spending more and actually our head of marketing guy called connor yeah and he has a he has a philosophy around marketing which i love and it's called customer success before you've become a customer so usually you know the way you think of customer success being you know you get the customer on board and then you're trying to get them to use your product get engaged you know yeah with you but his is like customer success beforehand. So what can, how can we actually deliver, like that we actually deliver our mission before they've even become a customer so that we've given them some piece of advice on podcasts or a blog or wherever on a video around, you know, getting the customers back into the salon more often. And they've yeah. that and as a result grown their business and they're not even a customer yet. Do you know what I mean? So that's, that's um, and if we do that, we create like real trust then as a brand with them and it's going to be much easier over time that person might not be ready to take forest yet but like if then they will you know we'll be the first port of call yeah that, and that's what we're trying to do as well by you know publishing content etc like yeah, it's, 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 it's it's you listen to this we've been talking about product there a good bit and someone's like yeah i could do with getting those guys in and yeah like why would it give you a shout you up then? Yeah, no, it's, it, I think that's a, that, that's a very interesting area. I love the idea of the retention and, and, and your, for me as well, I always, in the last few years, I always think of the company as being the main product and, and that's the one you really have to nurture and look after. Because if you don't have that, you, you well, you don't have anything. Yeah, Even the same thing, yeah. And I'm sure you, you're the same, but like for yeah. us, like for me personally, that's almost 
almost a bigger thing, or it's definitely yeah. the next thing after the custom salon and how we can have that salon. You know, I'm obsessed with that all the time, and the company yeah. is obsessed with that. But then the next thing is like, how are we building like an organization that is going to stay innovative? That when it grows mm. from 200 people to 500 people, yeah. it'll be a nice place to work. You know, will people will it still be innovative? Will it not get bogged down with bureaucracy? Yeah, that's really hard. Like they're really hard not to do. Honestly, like it, you think, ah, we're never going to be like that, but it gets hard. It does get hard, and I think that's one of the, another thing that resonated with me was that before I just move into strategy, um, I read a book there by it doesn't have to be crazy at work by Jason Fried, and he has a company called Basecamp. Mm. And he he has a lot of those thinking that you have there as well about growing. And he's kind of questioned how big do we have to grow? You know, yeah. what do I want to really do? I want to take over the world. Do you know what I mean? Big, but yeah, he, well, he's brilliant. I like I love Jason. And then obviously DHH, you know, that his co-founder yeah. has written loads of stuff. And it's probably even a bit more uh, controversial sometimes. But yeah, yeah no, I love those guys. I think like what's brilliant about that is he, he makes it okay to say that because there's, there's definitely was an element in startups and things like that was like go big or go home kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Totally. Yes. Yeah. And it's terrible. It's really wrong. Yeah. And like you, and then people would take on money and like for a business that shouldn't have taken on money. And then if it doesn't work out, that's the end of it. And they might've had a decent business and, a, and an amazing lifestyle and provided yeah. value for people. So, like it's great. Like people like that have changed that a bit. I think and there's such a movement around that. Um, and we're kind yeah. of somewhere in the middle. I would say, like we're not. Mm. It's it's like we're doing it our own way. We want to we want to build a company for decades, but yeah. we want to stay in control all that time. So yeah. If we raise loads of money. Uh, we wouldn't have control, and then somebody else would ultimately be making the decision whether we sell the business or not. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, so I think that's kind of the area I'm looking at there now, strategy. and Like, did, like, do you think you have that huge vision or are you just every so often just take a breather and focus on what's going on around you today? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Both, both. But like, I told you, like, I, I don't, I think for me personally, I have, like, the vision does get bigger. Like, that's another mm. thing as well. This, this, it's BS to say, oh, there's a massive vision. But like, you can have like a big ambition, you know, like I always wanted to build uh, a big company and yeah. not not to make a lot of money like that was never really any interest for me but it was more like i wanted to kind of do something that would be considered say the best in the world or whatever it did yeah and the salon industry then attracted me because it was like wow there's nobody in here and it's actually a bigger industry than you think etc etc so that would make well i found that interesting and like could we build a, a glambia or crh or Kerry group or whatever this sector out of Ireland, do you know what I mean? Like, and that's that when I got the juices going and it attracted talent into Forest when you say that because they're like, Oh, I'd like to do that rather than just work for a multinational or you know, work for work for someone else. So, but like, I think, I think the, the thing about the vision was the longer we work in this industry, the more we know it and the more success that we have in it. And we have downs as well and things that go wrong, obviously. But like, you, you that opens your mind to like, wow, we can go even further. And like, so we're going. You know, at the start, it was just sending a text message. You know what I mean? And then, and then suddenly you're like, well, we can do all their payroll. And then the next thing is like, well, can we help the salon do all their social stuff? Like, you know, through Instagram mm. or Facebook or whatever. And it's like, yeah, we can. And actually, not only that, but we can generate a lot of revenue from that because right. we're really helping the salon, etc. And so, and it goes on deeper and deeper. And then there's ideas around, can we help them sell more retail in the salon? And then that's a massive idea in itself, you know, and these are all like, you could build companies around some of these ideas now when you think about it, but at the company, yeah. like they weren't even on the horizon. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that's really, that's really exciting. So we can see, like, if we look like, that's why I say 30 years, like, yeah, you know, day to day, you still have to focus on the detail, but like the big picture is like, lads, if we just keep doing a good job here for salons and help them get their clients back more often, we can just keep building adding salons, going to new markets, yeah. features. And that's your product roadmap, basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and it's what that, you, you just kind of mentioned there, um, you mentioned the Glanbees and the Currys and things like that, and one thing I, I noticed with Curry and um, like obviously you're able to retain staff and you're able to keep staff happy, and I think that's such a huge thing for a company because uh, not many people can do it very well. Um, like I know in the Curry group, they have this thing where – 
if you are in a particular role in Curry and you're moving up to a higher role, you can't move up there until someone below you, you've taught them everything that you know before you can move on up. And I think that's a beautiful way of working, you know? A, and, uh, I love that, actually. I never heard that before. That's Yeah. Yeah, I did, and they've been doing it for years. Um, but the other end is like, um, we spoke earlier on about funding, and I'm not going to go into too much about funding because I know there's a really good podcast with you and Neve Bushnell on SoundCloud. You can just search those names and you talk about funding, etc. But the latter part of that that particular conversation, you were talking about funding, but evergreen, mm. uh, which I want to have a look at. I also want to look at the idea of um, grow your own timber. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a very interesting area. Maybe I'll start with that because... Yeah. That's again, we're talking about staff and that talent doesn't travel well or it doesn't move well. So in other words, if you had someone who was a really good data analyst that you saw in Google or something, and then you tried to move them into your company, they might not actually work out that well at all. Might work out. Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. And I think, yeah, so we've, we, this came from our chairman, uh, Pat Garvey, been working with us for about eight years. He had this and we've adopted this and run with it. So like the, this idea of grow your own timber, like, are you focusing all the time on developing people, uh, giving them new opportunities? Um, you know, are they, are they the sort of people that want to take those new opportunities as well? Because it's a two-way street. So are you hiring people that have, like to say, what's called the growth mindset? You know, they want to improve, want to go to the next stage. So they, they want to go to the next stage and you can give them opportunities to do that and training development around it and support around it. And let them make mistakes and that's okay you know all that kind of stuff if you can provide all those things and i'm not saying we're perfect at providing all those things but we try and uh and we have that philosophy called you know like grow your own timber i think you you do retain people because people know like they you know they're going to get given chances now you also helps if you have a vision and you go right this is where we're going and we're going to help salons and we're you know we actually give a shit about them you know people like that like they like working somewhere where they want to where there's a reason for being there exactly and you're having an impact on on, on a business properly like they like that too and then you also like so if it, you know things that you only realize later on is like is everyone able to have an impact so in your job are you just move you know pushing paper from here to there to other people who are having an impact or are you actually having an impact on the business or on the customer or whatever so we work a lot around you know, that role, is that role having an impact that we're creating? You know what I mean? As we grow, that's hard to do. Um, it's easier to do it at, say, 160 people where we're at right now than it is mm. in 3,000 people or 10,000 people or 100,000, like Google or something. It's hard to do that, but, you, you know, you're, you're always trying and thinking about it all the time. And I, that's, I'd say that's one of the reasons why we retain a lot of people, I think, is by trying to do all those little things that need to grow your own timber yeah and I, I think as well just getting into the whole evergreen area it's, it's maybe you can describe it better than me but I'll, I'll give it a go it's basically where you do have you know funders involved with you but they're they're in for the in for the long run they're not in for where a lot of vcs it's like they they come on board uh they invest and then seven years they where's my money and we move on you know yeah. so uh whereas you you found some investors that are helping you grow but they're not looking for you know a seven year quick win as such they're yeah. they're in for the longer term and i think it'd be great to see more of that kind of where it means that i know i've you've said it several times before you're you're in for the long haul like and that, that'll help your staff as well by knowing those kind of things you know yeah like so evergreen is another sort of company we, we have these things called guiding principles and grow your number one and, and, and being evergreen is another so what evergreen means is that you're building your company to stay relevant and, and to, to keep going for forever in here yeah nothing lasts forever but like lasts sure. a long long time and and the idea behind that that leads to a few things so one is if you raise a lot of venture capital you're not going to be able to be evergreen because it's not going to be your decision whether you stay for a long time uh, also, if it's just you that owns the company, like again, that's that's hard. It's, you can be evergreen, but everyone else isn't necessarily 100% bought into it. So we would have like a situation where you know I own a chunk of the company, but the employees own a chunk of the company as well, like 25%, and they all own those shares. They're not share options, and they've bought into it. So and we open that up every year for more people to buy shares. And so what happens is that you know. And the majority of the company is controlled by myself and the employees. And that means that we, when we say we're evergreen, it's our decision whether it stays evergreen or not. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, yeah. And that has to be the case. So we can raise money, which we've done, but not if it affects the balance of that ownership. So, um, so that's kind of an uh, interesting thing. I think, I think then the, the, the bigger th- biggest thing of all about being evergreen is that once you're saying we're in an evergreen company, it's like your decisions you make have to be long-term decisions. Because in a, in a fast-growing company with loads of venture capital again, which companies, like it's not one, one model is right, one model is wrong. But in Absolutely. Right, if you're raising money today and you're going like amazingly fast, you, you will take shortcuts to get to the next stage because you're probably not going to be around to deal with whatever the consequences are of that. So technical debt is a good example where, you know, I could build a product this way or we could build it this way much faster, um, but we will have to rewrite it then in 12 months. Uh, if you're going really fast, you'll take the second option um, because you, you're basically kicking the can down the road. Someone else is going to have to rebuild it. Yeah, you won't be picking it up. In an evergreen yeah. company, you're going to have to pick that up. Yeah. Why the hell would you do that? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, that's that's kind of the philosophy. We're going to be around. People stay here. We're going to be around. We're going to have to fix that. So let's do it right the first time. Do you know? Yeah. No, I think that that's a great way to be. And like you'd mentioned earlier on, like the Kerry and then Glanbees and Glanbees or let's say in Kilkenny as well. So they have that kind of, you know, evergreen. They're kind of like Adobe. They acquire companies and they grow and grow and grow, you know? Uh, not many companies in Ireland get to that stage where they're the world leader in what they do, you know, in food or whatever it is. Do you know what I mean? And like, I think like there's companies like Ryanair, which have done it as well. But yeah. it's to be them. You know what I mean? Because maybe their philosophies are very different. You know, at yeah. the same time, you can admire that they have become the world leader in like cheap air aviation or whatever. Like, do you know, so there's, there's a, admire that part about it. But then there's companies that have good cultures like Kerry, which, you know, I'm sure yeah. most people think, oh, you know, it's people in small companies go, Kerry's uh, bureaucratic. But it's, you know, compared to a lot of companies of similar size, it's not bureaucratic. You know what I mean? So it's, yeah, uh, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it is when they just change everything. Changed for them when they just went. We're an ingredients company, yeah. and now Glumpy are saying we're an ingredients company. And that's where it's changed. Um, as well, just in terms of like as you grow and expand, just to close up, I suppose you're looking at moving. You, I think you'd mentioned at the point that you were looking at maybe moving as well or expanding in Belfast. Yeah, so we're 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 like a couple of reasons for that is like one, we're in Dublin right now, and Dublin's really you know like Dublin's booming. Yep. Fantastic, but that that makes brings challenges. You know, the housing crisis means that unless you're earning really good money, um, you know, like it, it can be hard to live. So I mean, if you're entering a company at junior level, you know, getting a flat is can be ridiculously expensive, right? So that's yeah. tough. You know what I mean? So yeah. we're you know we're looking for maybe you know in the future we're going to need to be somewhere maybe outside of Dublin where people can afford to live, yeah. entry level positions, right? So that kind of stuff. Uh, Brexit as well. Like we have a lot of customers in the UK. I'd say 50% of our customers are in the UK, for example, but they're all serviced from here. What if Brexit sends that haywire, you know, it'd be better if we have a base of employees, you know, in, in Belfast that would put them within the UK. Do you know that kind of way? So yeah, other reasons like that. Um, and then there's, there's places like Kilkenny or, yeah, you know, like places outside of Dublin that are, and I'm from Westport, like, you know, like there's places outside of, I've got them that are a fantastic place to live and uh but you know and then it's obviously cheaper to live there the cost of living is lower and uh, you know you want to kind of open that up to people yeah it was i remember i, I spoke to um uh doug i can't remember his surname but he's the, the head of ibm uh, design in ibm and uh doug was telling me that they moved uh or they expanded into austin texas for and they put their whole design team there and i said so why did you go to austin texas and he said well it's cheaper living, so we can hire, you know, young recruits, people out of college, and they can actually afford to live there. Um, and it's been cheaper for us, and it's cheaper for them because they don't have to pay crazy house rental yeah. prices. And also, he said that they have a great culture there in terms of the festivals on the whole time, you know. So it's kind of like Kilkenny, he was saying, as I was telling him about Kilkenny, actually, and he was saying, God, it's, Kilkenny's a lot like Austin, Texas, like in terms of we've got festivals and yeah. cheap accommodation, but yeah, but a lot cooler, and I mean like, cooler you know it's not yeah, hot yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, I, but uh, it, it is interesting but um, yeah no, and you can look the world is going to move has to like has to with remote working on the rise as well which we're seeing more and more of within forest as well it's easier to be able to have people working in different places anyway so 
That's it, yeah. Do you think that's something that'll happen with yourself? That's the closing question, really, is that, you know, are you looking at remote workers? Yeah, well, we do, like we do, like we already do. I mean, you know, okay. the dev product team, I would say a third to a half are remote. Right. Um, now, there, there would all be people who, a lot of them would have worked in Dublin before and now living yeah. remotely. So that, you know, we have a certain element of culture built up with them. Yeah, they have that rapport. They've been working in the office and they find it easier to work from home. And we're not like the fully remote companies that everybody's remote, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I know, like yeah. That. So we're, again, all these things, I always think in moderation, you know, everything has probably got some pros and some cons and you try and figure out a balance in the middle that kind of works for you, you know? Yeah, yeah. And all that stuff. But personally, I love going to work in the office. Like, I love that, so... I don't want to. Yeah. If everyone was remote, I wouldn't enjoy that as much. Do you know what I mean? But then no. they think different. So, you, you know, you want to be able to have that balance, right, for everyone. Yeah, I think it, if people work different. I think if I was at home, I'd be just finding hundreds of ways of filling the dishwasher and different yeah. things besides yeah. doing the thing I was actually supposed to be doing, you know? Stay in bed all day. Probably. Yeah, <laughs> stay in bed all day. Yeah, yeah. it's easy. Grand as well, but I like getting up and going for a walk and going out and forcing myself to do that. You get to, you know, get to the yeah it gets good listen just to close then look that's been really great i think we've covered pretty much everything that i wanted to cover anyway um where can people find you running if people are looking to find you online and see what you're up to the best place is um at the moment is, is something called nothingventured.rocks okay our, our blog that we have here and i i blog on that it's a blog for cool. how we work in forest it's you know we have the blog for salon owners which is called yeah blog, and that's different I blog on that. So people who are people in startups and stay ups would find inspiration going to somewhere yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, well like just different options. Like, you know, like we were being discussing, like Evergreen Company, you know, we love products, so we try to use all the latest stuff around products. We do a lot of posts around that, you know, design yeah. product, a lot of stuff around building a long term company and culture, um, a lot of stuff around content marketing, you know, things that we feel that we're we're good at and we like and we invest in. We, we, blog, we get a lot of people blogging on that internally on those different areas. And I think there's stuff. There's definitely stuff there if you're interested in those kind of things. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I've, di- I've dipped in and out myself, and it is actually it's just great to see. Basically, everyone has the same problems, and other people are finding ways to, to solve them. I think you know. Um, what are you reading at the moment? Or is there anything any particular place you go for content? Uh, yeah, I've been on a real reading buzz at the moment. So um, a couple of things that. I've read a bunch of books at the moment that have blown me away. Okay. I'd say a few of them. Um, and then also there's a couple of things I follow. One is Bistratechery. I don't know. Do you, do you know that? I do, yeah. The, the, kind of every two weeks or a week something comes out, isn't yeah, it? It's, it's four times a week if you pay him. It's $10. Oh, yeah. So, um, and then he does a free one every couple of weeks. But you're, um, yeah. I, I pay for that and it's the best $10 I spend in a month. Wow. Okay. Like I've been reading it for about three years now, four years maybe. And he is just the most intelligent person. Yeah, he's on the button every time. So, um, I read, like just read, just taking five ten minutes out of my day every day or every three or four days a week to read that really helps me with strategy and long term thinking and stuff. Like it's brilliant. Um, and then on the book side, yeah, well, it was that Marty Kagan book, Inspired, that I read yep. just a while ago. Uh, I strongly recommend that for anyone interested in product or design or all that kind of stuff. Like just it's so well written you know it's really um lots of short chapters with three pages you know that you just very easy to dip in and out but also to if there's an idea you want you can just take those three pages and get someone to read them really really good um and and class stuff around that cool say anyway if you haven't read it into all that stuff but yeah definitely um and then uh yeah just a couple of i read a book called what gets that's 20 years old what gets you here won't get you to there Right. That, that's more around people and management and stuff like that and uh, it sounds like one of those sort of cliche books but I, I lots of gold nuggets in there really gold nuggets so I recommend anyone who's kind of you know wants to get better at, at leading people I think is uh, get a lot out of that book you know great yeah, anyway, uh, a lot of things I'm doing wrong all the time you know <laughs> yeah yeah night so well and he was like ah I can't believe I do that all the time but um uh, yeah, so they're, they're, they'd be two big ones for the moment. But uh, but the big ones for like long-term, like books that I read years ago that I keep going back to, there's two that really stand out for me. And one is Good to Great by Jim Collins. I've okay. heard of, but um, that's 
that's an old one, but I we built a lot of our company based off that book. I mean, it's just really yeah. phenomenal inspiration for us. Like go right back, and then uh, a book called Good Strategy, Bad Strategy. Mm-hmm. Rummels, I can't remember. I think remember. it's Donald Rummels, I think. But um, uh, that is the best book on strategy I've ever read. I, I, you know, I'm sure there's other ones out there that I haven't read, but phenomenal book on strategy. Um, okay. What strategy is and what it isn't. You know, like so. I, I think um, anyone who's kind of interested in strategy, I, I'd really recommend to check out that book because it's uh, it's phenomenal. Perfect. Listen, Ronan, really appreciate it. It's been it's been really good fun. I've learned a lot, and um, hopefully, we'll talk again sometime. Cheers, John. Take it easy, man. So that's it. Only our second podcast. I'd like to thank Ronan again. If you want to get in contact with me, you can find me at John at RedLemonade.ie. You can visit our site at RedLemonade.ie, and you can catch us at Twitter as well at at RedLemonade. Talk soon.